starting off, I thought I would share. Since the women are gone, I thought I would share this. I and mean, there's a lot of women here, I understand. But um, kind of funny story this week. I, um, I'm actually doing quite a few weddings right now. It just so happens that like every once in a while, it's all of a sudden wedding season. And um, I was meeting with a couple this last week and talking about them writing their own vows, and which is awesome. And she got up, she you know went out to the car, and he real quick was like, man, I'm having trouble writing my vows. And I was like, have you heard of this thing called ChatGPT? <laughs> and he's like, no, I don't have... And I was like, well, let's just check it out, right? And I like typed it in. I just said, write my wedding vows. It came up, you know, beautiful. And he's like, yeah, but that doesn't really sound like me. And I was like, oh, you can like work with this. Like, make it sound like Mark Twain. And it's like, I'm going to love you till the cows come home. Like, and... <laughs> But he's like, he's a sailor, so is she. So I was like, give, give us a nautical theme. And so I thought I'd just read that for you guys today. It says, today I set sail on a journey of love with you. As we embark on this adventure together, I vow to love and cherish you until the end of time or until the seas run dry, whichever comes first. I promise to be your anchor, your compass, and your first mate through calm waters and stormy seas. I will always be there to steady the ship to steer us in the right direction, and to weather any storm that comes our way. Beautiful. I know. Chat GPT. Who knew it was such a poet, right? Um, <laughs> and I say, I don't say that in front of the you know, if the women are gone, it feels a little easier to say that. Because isn't there something so offensive about that idea of a computer writing your wedding vows? <laughs> That's terrible. But, um, but it's not bad at it. It's just incapable of actually making a vow, right? Because it has no soul, as we've talked about. But, um, but it can sort of pretend in a way. And anyway, we have been talking the last couple of weeks about the heart. And, um, and I think this is funny because I think so often we associate who we are with sort of our mind, our ability to think, our ability to write. But but really the heart is this thing that's able to vow. It's this thing that's able to surrender, to to lay itself down. That that our heart is this center of freedom and choice that we possess. It's the the wellspring of life. And we've been talking about that verse in Proverbs that says to guard it above all else with all vigilance, for from it flow the rivers of life. In this heart of ours, what we need to understand what it is, this thing at our center, and so that we can guard the right thing so that we can protect it, and we protect it from impurities, we protect it from contaminants. We saw last week that part of guarding that heart is actually controlling our tongue, what we say. It's, it's being careful where we walk, where our, the paths that we follow lead us. We protect it so that what comes from us is pure, that what comes out of us is love. And so it, staying in this place... And this wellspring is, is really a posture of receiving first and then giving. That we're receiving from the source of life, which is God himself, and that that life that he gives is love. And by keeping a clean heart, then from that place flows love, flows comfort, flows grace. That we live in a world that is in need. And as we, you know, read through these vows, I think it accurately describes the fact that that one of the things that we vow in a marriage is navigating through storms. 
And the truth, the reality is that, that we all face those times. And probably many of you here today are in the midst of it. That, uh, what is that saying? That we're either in the midst of a storm or we're coming out of one or we're about to go in one. And I've been thinking about that because I think for myself personally, I feel like I've come out of this last couple years of a really stormy season. And I was meeting with, uh, I'm a part of a faculty that teaches spiritual direction and um, we were doing kind of a check-in gathering together and said, how are you doing, Jeff? And I said, gosh, I'm doing good. And they were all like, wow, I haven't heard you say that in a long time. Because it's been stormy, right? And it's it affects us. It affects our hearts when we go through hard times. And I think so often I I would love it if if God made my life more comfortable, but so often He chooses not to. And the reason we see, I think, underlying this whole book of Proverbs is that it's these storms that shape wisdom in us. That it's not enough to possess knowledge, but but the capacity to use it, the capacity to use it well requires a sort of learning that that requires us to be immersed in the storms, to live through the tension. And so I'm practicing this idea of of saying that I'm good without a a sense of like superstitious, like I'm going to jinx something. (laughs) Does anybody else feel this way? This is just me probably. I was one of these people that like growing up, I like hated watching sports because I felt like if they started performing bad, it was my fault. Does anybody else feel that way? There's probably some therapists here that could help me with this. Like, oh man, like I'm sorry guys, I think I must be messing you up. Like I'm getting in their heads or something. But this this idea, I think sometimes we go through life with this sort of karma, right? It's why we like knock on wood. It's why you rub a like rabbit's foot. It's like if things are good, don't say they're good. You might spoil something. Uh, but but the truth is that... Um, that when things are good, it's, it is a wonderful moment to sort of catch your breath and savor it. Because the truth is, it isn't going to last. That, that life does sort of inevitably bring storms. And I think sometimes we think the wise ones are the ones that are able to avoid the storms of life. And there's some truth to that. Proverbs is filled with examples of that. But wisdom, I think, is much more than just avoiding. Wisdom is how you navigate through. It's how you do it with like a calm hand on the wheel. And as I look around in the world today, there seems to be an absence of this kind of wisdom. Everything feels so volatile. Everything feels so reactionary. Where are the wise ones that are able to navigate the course? And Proverbs is a book of a father teaching this to a son, a king talking to somebody who is going to rule. So much of Proverbs is about how to lead. But I don't think it's set aside just for those people that will one day sit in that seat or in that throne. The the truth is that all of us have this calling to wisdom. All of us have this calling to influence. And this reminder that we have to be intentional about it. We have to be diligent We have to lean into the work. I love this in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. He says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. 
Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard, when you arise? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I think sometimes we, we think of our faith and we think, well, it's not something that we earn, which means we get to just totally kick back. And, and the truth is, it isn't something that we earn. Our faith comes to us by grace, but it requires effort. Not to prove something, but to live into it. This, this narrow path that we're called to walk. And Proverbs is good about saying, get off the couch, right? Some of you are going to be on the couch all afternoon for the Super Bowl. There's grace for today, right? But, but in the end, we are supposed to live our lives by leaning into the work. And yet at the same time, we have Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Isn't that interesting, right? The sort of juxtaposition of these. And this is what wisdom does, by the way. Wisdom comes to us with tension built in. It's saying work hard, but don't worry about tomorrow. And so you've got this effort, but it's this almost effort to lean into this trusting of God, placing ourselves in this place of dependence Staying in that place of counting on God for what's to come. And so the mark of somebody putting their effort into the wrong place is this kind of anxiety, this worry. And I don't know about you, but, but I contend to be a worrier. So much about life seems to stir that worry in me. Every time I go scroll through my news feed, I'm like, oh no. Another balloon got shot down, like, ah, right? And, and we live in this state of like heightened alertness, heightened fear. And see, this is, I think, my, my whole reason of bringing this up is that most of us are diligent about guarding our lives. We just guard the wrong thing. We guard this sort of self-protective, self-centered thing. I'm going to, for lack of a better term, call it our ego today. I know that's not perfect, but we guard our ego, assuming that it's the wellspring of life. When in fact, that's probably the source of so much of the junk in there. My self-centeredness, my... my um, protecting my privilege, my power, my thing here. And I think this heart, when it's protected and it's flowing, it, there's an absence of that. In fact, if, if we're doing this right, we're almost making the ego more vulnerable, right? And Jesus is, expects us to be on our guard and to be alert, to read the signs correctly. In Matthew 16, I, I like... Um, how he's correcting the Pharisees here. It says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him and to test him, and they asked to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. 
knowing what to pay attention to, knowing what to look for. These people were studied in all these things and yet were producing the wrong sort of fruit in their lives. And I think so often when we see the anxiety, it's, it's because we're guarding the wrong things. When we see the worry and fear in our life, we're being diligent to protect, but we're protecting the self. Noticing those things, realizing that fear and that anxiety, that love is the thing that casts those out. When we're operating right and our hearts are pure, those things cannot coexist. How do we guard that thing that produces this stream of love from us? And I think so often we're, we're putting up these walls around ourselves and guarding against a sort of threat or enemy that's out there. And, and there are enemies out there. There are threats out there. But where Jesus wants us to be building, where he wants us to be doing our work, is in this area of stability as opposed to protection. I love this in Matthew 7. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I love this vision of like stability. This is what wisdom looks like with those that possess it. Unshakable. Do you know people like that? I like aspire to be that kind of person. It's like in the midst of the crisis and the calamity, they're the ones who don't lose their head. I think of like first responders doing triage in a crime or not in an accident, scene of an accident, right? Determining who to help first, right? And you, there's a reactive sort of energy which just generally causes problems. But the person that's clear thinking in that, that's the wise person, that stability. This is what God wants for all of our lives, all of our hearts. Purity of heart looks like that. Not just a heart that gives love, but a heart that has a sense of calmness. We talk about non-anxious presence. And the truth is that that is derived in the midst of the storm. That the conflict, the tension, having to navigate through those places is, is a teacher to us, one of the greatest teachers. If all we do is run from those, we never learn wisdom. If all we do is fall apart in crisis, we're not developing that sort of depth of character. As I think about this idea of stability versus building walls, this feels important to me because I think I see tendencies within even a lot of believers to sort of isolate and withdraw from culture as if that is guarding our hearts. But it prevents us from doing the real mission that we're called to do. That as Christians, we're to shine light, to be influence to move towards the margins, to move towards the ones in need. For us to step in and really do our calling, we're taking that living water to those who are thirsty. 
when we guard ourselves and we put up walls, right? We isolate ourselves and we end up sort of withering in that place. In a world that is so anxious, what we need is Christians with peace in our hearts standing in that place. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes 8.1. It says, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Is that cool? This is what wisdom looks like, right? It's a sense of calmness, a shining in the face. It's a, it's a presence that we possess. And I say this because this is what God wants in each one of us, that our faces would shine, that our faces are soft, that all of us are leaning in and becoming wise. And I talked about this posture being one not of reaction but of action. And and can you kind of tell the difference there? It's not that we're to be so detached and oblivious. No, we're supposed to be decisive in, in there. We know how to interpret the right things, right? But reaction is this sort of knee-jerk that happens that's so often dangerous. And I think for myself, when my knee-jerk response occurs, how little of my heart is actually engaged in that. When there's a knee-jerk response, it isn't really about any choice of my own. It's just a sort of automatic response. Somebody, somebody says something, it offends me, and I lash out, right? Does anybody else do this? Right? Get triggered by something and boom, right? And you know what that feels like. It feels like the opposite of this calm when you're sitting in a conversation and then all of a sudden like, oh, they say something and like, you start feeling this guardedness coming up, right? Or your face starts turning a little bit redder and all of a sudden this emotional energy is occurring. And when we get reactive, what comes out of us oftentimes is the very worst. It's where we get cruel. It's where we get mean. The opposite of what we're called to be, which is patient and kind. So often when life gets hard, we're trying to find a way of escape. But if we can remain in that place and let it do its work and learn to withhold those words, to sit in that spot and return like not a word but our other cheek, This is how wisdom is formed. Sorry, I'm catching my place here. (laughs) The non-anxious presence. To be at peace in the midst of the storm. I think this is the thing that you saw in Jesus over and over again. You've heard me mention this before, how Dallas Willard, if he described Jesus in one word, would say relaxed. And nothing captures that to me better than Jesus asleep in the front of the boat at sea. And I love that scene. There they are in a literal storm, and these sailors are in over their heads, and they're terrified, and they look at Jesus, and there he is asleep. And they say, what, don't you care Don't you care about what I'm going through? Jesus stands up and commands the weather to be still. 
But before that, he turns to them and says, don't be afraid. And it's interesting because that happens more than once. They find themselves later in a boat without Jesus in the front, but he comes walking on the water. And as he approaches, they're terrified once again, and he kind of has to remind them, I told you, don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? And see that storm and enduring through that, working through that. This is how we grow. I like this quote from Amanda Ripley. I read this today. She says, people who try to live without any conflict, who never argue or mourn, tend to implode sooner or later, as any psychologist will tell you. Living without conflict is like living without love, cold and eventually unbearable. What I love about scripture, what I love about wisdom is it's not teaching us how to wield this power with authority. It's being, it's teaching us how to take responsibility for our lives, but to do it always with love, always with humility and always for the sake of others. Without wisdom, when we react, generally speaking, all we do is create more harm. We fight the wrong battle. Nan, did you do that? (laughs) The amp. I always think in this case of Peter. Peter, our, our brave one who's refusing to um, yield. He's going to be Jesus' champion, swinging his sword and chopping off the ear of the man in the garden. This is what reaction looks like. And Jesus steps in, and instead of doing more harm, he heals. Tells them this is the way of the kingdom. And it isn't natural for us, is it? It takes unlearning. It requires transformation. And when we look at scripture, I, this is what I love. Every single story is about this kind of unlearning. God offering vision, offering responsibility, and then taking his people through the storms on a journey, softening them along the way so that when it's time for them to step in and act, they're prepared. My favorite example of this always in scripture is, is Joseph. And I'll just give us a quick one. So if you don't know the story, I apologize here. But, but Joseph is this cocky young kid who is super talented, has this dream that everybody's going to be bowing down to him, and then is taken from there storm to storm to storm, sold out of jealousy into slavery, in the midst of slavery, wrongfully accused and imprisoned, in the midst of prison, forgotten and overlooked. Until finally he's brought before the Pharaoh. And Joseph, in situation after situation, instead of isolating or running or withdrawing, just in obedience, trusts. Trusts that God is with him and yields. He takes that heart and softly obeys. And God blesses him. And God is with him. 
And in the end, I, I mean, that's my favorite part of that story is when he's there in slavery, God blesses all his efforts. By the time he gets to jail and he's in this place of brokenheartedness, it says that God's love is with him in that place. This said, this never-ending love of God meeting him in that place. So that by the time that Joseph stands before the Pharaoh, he talks about this interpretation of a dream, that there's going to be years of prosperity followed by famine. Somebody needs to be in charge of this. Somebody needs to organize it. So you should probably find somebody to do it. And then the image I get is Joseph kind of turning to go back to jail, right? This this ambition, this self-protection has been slowly refined out of him this whole time until he's there and he's soft. And Pharaoh says, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? I love that. Like you see Pharaoh going, there's nobody like this in Egypt, right? Something is radically different about this guy, not his giftedness or his talent, but his whole posture. God is with this person, and you can tell it in his countenance, in the softness of his face, and yet in the strength and truth of his words. And you see how God has, through these storms, created something really beautiful and wise in Joseph. The cocky kid is gone now. And what stands is some, somebody who can wield power without it corrupting them. God wants these lives of us, of ours, that are to be glorious. But I think so often he withholds that glory because if we get a hold of it and we get reactive with it, we just make a mess of things, right? So God, I think, sort of lovingly holds back some of that glory, gives us just enough or just a bit more than what we can handle to push us, to challenge us. I love in this scene how God is going to take the provision that he blesses with Egypt, the wisdom of Daniel, to then feed the world. The world is going to come to reap the abundance. And I think this is what I'm getting at by saying uh, when we're guarding the wrong thing, we build these walls and we sort of hoard resources for ourselves. And, and God's saying, no, with, with the wise, I can open up the gates of provision. I just need to know that you are going to use it to feed others. Not to hoard that for yourself that you're going to respond by putting others' needs as more important than your own. That's our example. That's what Jesus does for us. And that's what we are called to do. And for us, too, to realize this as we go through difficulties in life, Jesus is there in the boat and he's saying, you don't need to be afraid, Jeff. Don't be afraid. And too often I do get afraid. Like, oh, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? Why don't you stop the storm? But Jesus is saying, look, if you understand that I'm with you, you can walk on water, right? You can step into these situations and more is available to you than you're even aware of. And this is what I've seen time and again throughout my life where in moments that I felt like it was so bleak, God steps in and answers. 
I want to be the person that just trusts all the way to the end without losing composure. But I'm not always good at that. And so often I think God, even in his grace, when I fall apart, right, and my house is starting to shake and I'm like, oh no, God's like, okay, God will step in and bring with it reassurance. But again and again, when I see that, right, it just, that is the foundation. That's the stability. God is with me. God is in control. Even when life shakes, even when the storms grow fierce. And so leaning into this kind of trusting, this becomes the work. And this is, I think, really in the end, how we are guarding the right thing is is by staying in that place of trust, staying close and near, doing that with everything that we've got, like that sheep with his shepherd, staying right in step with God. That's where we put all our diligence. Not from our own self-protection, not in our own need to control but staying in that posture of open-handed trust. I love this in 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Not to please man. So often my fear comes from worrying about everything else, right? What is everybody going to think? And God just says, just keep your focus right there on me. I felt like the exhaustion of COVID was that you could please nobody, right? None of us. I sometimes thought when we would make a decision, if I would get complaints equally from both sides, I was probably on the right path. <laughs> but but to be in that place of security, to draw close, that's that's this obedience. God says, stay right with me, stay right near me. And this is what the wise man does. This is what we're called to do to not trust in things that don't deserve our trust, but to put our hearts completely in the care of God. I um, love this quote from Jonathan Sachs where he says, it's easy to be a critic, but the only effective critics are those who truly love and show they love those whom they criticize. Let me read that one more time. It's easy to be a critic, but the only effective critics are those who truly love and show they love those whom they criticize. And I've been thinking about this because this boldness, this call that we have, we're called to bring truth and influence into this world. We're called to to stand up for these things, but always with a heart of love for the ones that we come in to engage with, the ones that we come in to lead, the ones that we come in to influence. If we are not doing it from a heart of deep compassion, we're missing it. When we guard ourselves, we lose that ability to engage compassionately. 
this guard coming down, this lowering of the defenses of our ego is actually the way we function fully. And this is vulnerable. We're called to live in this sort of vulnerable space of love with others. We're called to engage our hearts on that level. We long for leaders, I think, sometimes who have it all figured out, who have all the answers and all of that for us. But the truth is, we don't get where we need to go, where we need to be going that way. That all of us in navigating through the storms are learning how to lead and depend and walk with God, which means taking our orders from Him, letting that be our foundation. There's a quote on leadership that. I kind of held on to from this guy, Ron Heifetz. He's this Harvard leadership guy. And he says that leaders, a leader's job is to disappoint those he's leading at a rate that they can absorb. <laughs> is that funny? <laughs> and I, I think that so often this is what God's doing for us, right? That oftentimes as we're praying, we're praying for those things that bring comfort. And God's saying, no, no, I'm taking you somewhere bigger taking you on a harder road than you would choose. But he'll do it at a rate that we can absorb and we can grow so that we can do that same thing for others. We do this for our kids as we raise our kids. We disappoint them at a rate that they can absorb. We do this for those around us. It's part of how we get to where we need to go. And probably none of us just want to sign up for that job, do we? But the truth is, this is God's calling on each one of us. To become wise is to become somebody of influence. And to become somebody of influence is to lead others to a better place. And we do this by first going ourselves there. We cannot lead other people where we haven't been. And so God is going to take you into that storm. And God is going to be there with you in the midst of it. He's going to ask you to keep your focus on him. And then God will, in that place, make your way straight. And when you do, what comes is this sense of deep calm, that place of trust and faith. This is what God wants for each one of us. And as we live in that place, our lives shine. Peter is going to say this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And that hope, that's the gift. Having made it through these storms made it out of these places of difficulty. When we see how God meets us in that place, it fills our heart with hope and that becomes our strength. Some questions for you to reflect on. Number one, are there any storms looming in your life? Maybe you are caught up in one right now. Are you aware of God in the midst of this storm? 
It's a question that I'll, I keep asking, right? Are you aware? Because so often again, God is there. He's there on our right hand, and yet we lose sight in our fear. What might God be revealing in you during this time? What is God asking you to trust him with? It's a big one. What are those fears? What are the things that are giving? Are you bringing those to God? Allowing God to hold those with you. Number two, have you, um, have you been offended recently and been ashamed or discouraged at your response? It might have happened like in the car yesterday. Um, maybe on your way to church. Have you asked what it is that you're protecting in yourself? How might you act instead of react? What would it look like to remain in that situation in a state of non-anxiety or peace? When you see those things just sort of spill out, right? We need to like go back and notice those things about ourselves. Notice our reactions. Learn from those things. Learn and notice that thing in yourself that you're guarding or protecting. Nobody cuts me off. (laughs) Nobody's going to pass me on the inside. Whatever those things are, those silly little things, right? That's the ego in there just trying to take control. Nothing better than driving to to reveal our reactiveness. Especially this intersection down here, Thalia and Glenary. Do you know what I'm talking about? You want to see the worst in humanity? It happens right there. And number three, are you in a season of calm? Take a moment and savor that. Instead of seeing this as a place to remain, how can you instead see it as a time to refresh and replenish? How can you steward this blessing for harder seasons ahead? I love that in the story of Joseph, the the blessing that comes, right? God provides, but then we hold on to that blessing. That's part of what we have to give when God comes in and comforts. It's that comfort that we give to others. When God blesses us, it's from that place of generosity that we bless others. If you're in a season of calm, respond with gratefulness, but also let that open your eyes to the needs of others who might be in need of that comfort. In a world that is filled with so much anxiety and fear, how can you be that sense of calm and hope? How can you go to them with that sense of God's love that he's given you? That's the wellspring of life. And from that flow the rivers that we give to others. Would you um, stand with me? And if you would like prayer, we've got uh, a few of our prayer warriors are um, up at Forest Home, but um, but we've got some people down here that would love to pray for anybody that have requests that burdens things on your hearts. But um, just love you guys. Thanks for being here. Enjoy some food after this. Enjoy your Super Bowl game if you're like invested in that. You know, whichever team you choose, it's great. But um, let me just leave you with a blessing as we go. I pray that God would bless you and keep you. God would make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And that God would lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you guys.